Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Welcome to Afternoons with Bill Arnold. That'd be me. Thanks to David Miles, who just left the studio. That was a wonderful uh, time with him. I always appreciate the Monday afternoon mix. And then also my friend Patrick Albanese to get things started on a little bit of a lighter note. This hour is going to be very interesting. I'm excited to welcome to the program uh, Stephen Viers, uh, who's written a book on overcoming bitterness, because bitterness is probably just feeling really angry or hurt or resentful because maybe you've had a bad experience or there's been some unjust treatment in your life and you know then how powerful bitterness can be and it can turn the nicest, kindest, sweetest people into someone that you just don't want to be. So how to overcome bitterness is something we want to learn more about. Uh, My guest, Stephen Viers, is a pastor and biblical counselor at Faith Church and Faith Biblical Counseling Ministries in Lafayette, Indiana. Stephen, welcome. Hey, thank you, Bill, for having me today. Are you kidding? I've been looking forward to this. I saw the book and I saw the topic, and this is a very important topic because bitterness is something I think a lot of people have in their uh, in their life, and they don't know what to do with it. Well, that's one of the points that I tried to make in the book, Bill, is that um, none of us could say that we don't have any bitterness in our life because when we look at the Word of God, Bitterness starts not as something you do, it's something you face. And we're living in a a sin-cursed world, and so the Scripture uses the word bitter to describe some of the kind of difficulties every one of us faces. And so, for example, you have Joseph, who was mistreated terribly by his brothers, and on his father's deathbed, um, Jacob goes around the room and talks about each one of his sons, and when he gets to Joseph, he says the, the the archers shot bitter arrows at you. you. You talk about an awkward moment. He, he was talking about Joseph's brothers. Mm. That, that's exactly what happened. That wasn't something that Joseph did. That was something that was done to him. Or, or you think about Hannah. Here's a, a dear woman who is struggling with infertility, and yet. Her rival, the scripture says, would would provoke her, would would mock her in a way that produced bitter tears. Well, so again, if we think about bitterness, first of all, as something that we do, we're not not thinking biblically enough. And and since bitterness is first something that we face, Mm. that's a struggle that every last one of us has. That's so interesting, Steve. Let me ask you what some of the common signs are that that you might be coming bitter. Well, that's sort of the other side of the spectrum mm-hmm. because that gets us to bitter behaviors. And, you know, sometimes we're simply talking about this low-grade disappointment. Where That's why the word bitter is there. It's a word that in the Old Testament is mara. New Testament, picria. And, and Bible dictionaries define it as the poisonous, 
putrid bile from the gallbladder. That's the kind of word that we're talking about. And so when you think about a particular person and that's the sensation you feel, or you think about a particular event or a, a life setting, and that's the sensation, that level of disappointment, um, anger, and it results oftentimes in bitter speech. That's one of the signs. James talks about it, that in chapter three of the book of James, where, where we're speaking bitter words. Or it's also interesting that when there's the presence of jealousy or envy, James also brings bitterness right into that picture. Or when Paul talks about it, let all bitterness be put away from you. It's interesting what else you see in that list. Let all bitterness and, and wrath and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you, along with all malice. And so when we see those kinds of um, behaviors in our life, we, we know that we went from facing a, a bitter circumstance, which we many times could not have controlled, to processing it in a way that did not honor the Lord, what was not in line with God's purposes for our life and resulted in bitter choices. We're not responsible for what happened to us, but we're certainly responsible for what we do with it. Mm -hmm. All right, Steve, in your book, you've come up with uh, three categories of bitterness, and it's kind of an interesting framework. I would love for you to uh, tell us and my listeners about each one of them. I'll give you as much time as you need. I'll cancel any guests I need to cancel just to give you the time to do it. Well, and that's, we've actually talked about two of them. We talked about bitter conditions. Mm -hmm. That's events that we face where someone is mistreating us, disappointing us. That's life in a sin-cursed world. Okay. We talked about the other side of the spectrum. We talked about um, bitter behaviors. That's what we're typically familiar with when we would say, boy, that's a bitter person. Those right. are words. But really... This is the, the nuts and bolts of this from the perspective of Scripture, because I'm so glad that God has given us a book that is sufficient, and it's not primarily focused on our behavior. So it's not a matter of, well, stop being bitter. That, that's not the way it works. The, the, the third category, and, and what's, I think, most important in this study, is the possibility of a bitter heart. You know, the book of Proverbs says, the heart knows its own bitterness. And, and that's where this battle is either won or lost. And so again, I can't stop living in a world where there's going to be bitter treatment. But what I do with that in response, in my heart, in my inner person, in other words, the, the thoughts that I choose to think in response to that bitter treatment, the, the desires that I cultivate in response to what that other person did, what's going on emotionally, that part of me that no one else can see yet. That's why the writer of Hebrews says, Hebrews 12, 15, see to it. It's the word episcopo. We get episcopalian or bishop, overseer. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that a, a root of bitterness. There it is. It starts in the heart. Mm -hmm. A root of bitterness springs up, causes trouble, and defiles many. And so the um, focus needs to be, what's going on in my heart? How am, I, how am I processing this hurt? That's also, Bill, why the Bible spends so much time um, inviting us to practice the process of lament. 
you know, when you think about the book of Psalms, our, our hymn book in the Bible, at least a third of them are laments. They're written in the minor key, so to speak. And so what do I do in my heart when I've been treated in a bitter fashion? Well, I cry out to the Lord. Hear my cry, O God, attend unto my prayer. When my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock who is higher than I. That's Psalm 61, 1 and 2. And so it's right, and this is where I think we, we often miss it as evangelical Christians. We think we we're supposed to put a plastic smile over a broken heart, or, or big boys don't cry, or I just rub some dirt on it. No, it's, it's not disrespectful to the Lord to go directly to his throne with our hurt, with, with our pain, with our, our questions. I think you could even say with our complaints. But we, we see Bible writers over and over and over do that. And as I trust God enough to be authentic with him about how I'm hurting and what I don't understand and what I don't like, that's, I think, an expression of trust in him, believing that he really does have the grace I need, believing I really, he really does have the answers that I need, believing that he truly is good, that he truly is sovereign. See, it's, a, it's an exercise of faith. It's an exercise of belief. Because remember, in Hebrews 12, the passage we quoted a minute ago about, see to it that no one comes short of the grace of God and lets a root of bitterness spring up causing trouble and defiling many, that passage goes on to discuss who I think is the poster boy of bitterness. It's Esau. And that is a haunting passage because Esau's fundamental problem was unbelief. And so what I think the scripture is calling us to is something far better than that. It's to process these hurts in a way that draws closer to Christ in a way that can be saturated in the gospel and help us grow in the ways our God wants us to grow. That verse, Steve, that you quoted, each heart knows its own bitterness, that sounds like it came from Proverbs? Proverbs 14.10. Oh, awesome. Thank you. That's a powerful verse. Each heart knows its own bitterness. Is there any more to that verse than just that? No, like many of the Proverbs, it's just a, it's a standalone concept, wow. but it's but, but we all know that, mm-hmm. right? We all know that in the quietness uh, of our lives, we know that um, there are things that trouble us. There are things that hurt us. There are things that, that disappoint us. But Bill, I think if we really do believe that God is powerful and God is sovereign, we also have to acknowledge that at some level, he allowed that into our lives for a reason. That's why Paul told the Romans in Romans 8.28, we know that God causes all things to work for good to those who love him, to those who are called according to his purpose. And that's why Joseph was able to be treated in a bitter fashion, but he certainly didn't become a bitter man. He let the bitter treatment of others draw him closer to the Lord. He was looking for God's ways and God's purposes in the midst of those trials, which is so he did not cultivate a bitter heart. Instead, he cultivated a trusting, faithful heart, unlike Esau. Mm-hmm. Esau was a profane man. And the, the haunting aspect of the end of that story is Hebrews twelve seventeen. You know that even afterwards, when Esau desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected for he found no place for repentance, though he sought it with tears. What, what 
a terrible condition for any person to be in. And that's why I didn't write the book just to condemn myself or anybody else. I, I wrote the book to call us to process these episodes of bitter treatment from others in a way that draws us closer to the sweetness of Christ. Steve Ayers is my guest. He's written a book called Overcoming Bitterness, Moving from Life's Greatest Hurts to a Life Filled with Joy. When we come back, I want to ask you, Steve, if, uh, you know, when you write a book on bitterness, is that something that you struggled with yourself? Was there a time in your life when you were bitter and how did you overcome it? We'll take a short break and be right back. Virus on the show. He's written a book called Overcoming Bitterness, Moving from Life's Greatest Hurts to a Life Filled with Joy. So, Steve, I'm guessing there is maybe a time in your life you were bitter, and how'd you overcome it? Well, you know, I would say it this way, Bill. I have to try to overcome bitterness every day. Okay. So it's not a matter of, well, was there a time? Yeah. That's the issue every day. You know, John said in, in 1 John 1, if we say we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. And then a couple of verses later, if we say that we've not sinned, we, we make him a liar. His word is not in us. And I believe that one of the important aspects of Christian growth or sanctification is walking in the light. That's what John talks about in that chapter, meaning I have an open attitude toward admitting my own sinfulness. And I realize I've been a pastor of the same church for 33 years now. And it's been a marvelous privilege. I love our church family. I love the town. I, there's many ways in which I would say I'm living my dream. But on the other hand, I'm a sin-cursed man, and I'm living among sin-cursed people, just like Isaiah said in Isaiah 6. And there's, there's plenty of disappointments in ministry. People don't always do what I think they ought to do. They don't always say what I would have wanted them to say, et cetera, et cetera. Somebody gets upset and they leave the church, or somebody has something to say that about something I did that they didn't like, et cetera, et cetera. There can be, just like anywhere else, I love being a pastor, wouldn't want to be doing anything else, but there are disappointments in that. And when you've been at the same church for that long, in the same town for that long, that list gets pretty long. And if I'm not careful, I can um, uh, have a pity party over mm -hmm. this go the way I wanted it to go, that didn't go the way I wanted it to go, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, you ask, how did I overcome it? I think one of the great examples is what God did with his children with the Passover meal. You know, they were to celebrate the Passover um, after they were delivered from Egypt every year. And what's fascinating about the way God designed that meal to work was it started every year with bitter herbs, bitter herbs. They had to eat. And when you study that particular phrase in the Bible, it's talking about a kind of lettuce that was indigenous to Egypt. So even when they left Egypt, God wanted them year after year after year to eat Egyptian food, to, to, to remind themselves so you can, that taste of what it was like to be enslaved in Egypt. But, but it didn't stop there. So, so that's the point. We can lament. We can be honest and authentic about our pain to, to our God. But it doesn't stop there. Because what came next in the meal was unleavened bread. 
it, it was cooked that way because their deliverance came rapidly. But who doesn't like the taste of freshly made bread? And so now you have a mixture of senses going on in your mouth. You have the, the bitterness of the herb, but you have that delightful taste of the bread, and that's preparing you for the centerpiece of the meal, the sweetness of that lamb. And you can imagine those tastes mixing, and all of a sudden the, the bitterness is going away because it's being overpowered by the, the sweet taste of that lamb. Mm -hmm. That points directly to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. And these difficult circumstances that our God lovingly allows into our life, that we can embrace them. We, we don't have to run away from them. We don't have to act like they're not there. We don't have to minimize them. We, we can fully embrace them. Take a bite of those bitter herbs, but don't stop there. Run as fast as you can to the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, our, our compassionate high priest. And the more we um, think about his character, the more we trust in his timing, the more we ask that this difficulty would conform us more to his image, all of a sudden, the bitterness is being driven away with his sweet presence. And when I'm letting that happen in my heart, that's what puts to death the bitter actions. Steve, you talk about sinful communication. What do you consider to be sinful communication? And, and boy, how do we avoid this? Well, you know, the Bible has so much to say about the topic of communication, but one of the marvelous passages is in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 25 to 32. And there's four great rules of biblical communication in that passage that we use so often in counseling. The first one is to be honest. So, so people who are communicating off of a platform of bitterness, many times they're dishonest. And there's our po poster boy again. Right. Think about Esau. Think about um, on his daddy's deathbed. Remember what he said to his dad. He said of his brother, my brother stole my birthright. That's not even close to what happened. And that's what bitterness can do. It causes you to minimize your own sin, because remember, Esau sold that birthright. It mm -hmm. wasn't stolen. He sold he sold it for a mess of red stuff, the Bible says. Mm -hmm. His gut, his, his, his passion, his desire was more important than his position in the covenant line of God. He was a profane man, and yet he, he did not tell the truth. So that's the first principle of biblical communication, be honest. The next one is keep current. See, be angry and sin not. Don't let the sun go down upon your wrath. Bitter people let things go, Bill, day after day after day. As one writer said, they don't just let the sun go down on their wrath. They let many moons go down on their wrath as well. Anger is a gift from God. And if we communicate with our anger driving us to solve problems biblically and to solve them today— it can actually be a delightful thing. It's like apple cider. If you drink it when it's fresh, it's really good. I just had this happen with my wife the other day. I had bought some for a recipe about six or eight weeks ago, a little jug of apple cider. And I took the lid off of that the other day, Bill, and it was as putrid as all get out. <laughs> mm -hmm. That's what anger's like. Mm -hmm. so that's what anger, and, that's what, and that's another way to even think about bitterness. It's like fermented anger. Yeah. And so 
If I'm not, if I'm letting the sun go down on my wrath, I'm not keeping current in my communication. I'm displeasing God. So be a, or, um, be honest, keep current. The next, uh, attack the problem, not the person. Uh, Paul says, um, uh, don't corrupt, don't speak in a way that is corrupting. In other words, don't tear people down. Let all corrupt communication be put away from you. And instead, speak words that edify, that build up. So attack the problem, but not the person. Bitter people go after people. Bitter people attack others with their words. They, they tear them down. Whereas when we're doing it right, we're using our words to solve problems. So again, be honest, keep current, attack the problem, not the person. And then lastly, act, don't react. There's our key passage on bitterness again. Let all bitterness and wrath and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be ye kind, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ's sake has forgiven you. Now that's just a, a quick trip around Ephesians chapter 4, which has those four great principles of mm -hmm. communication. Be honest, keep current, attack the problem, not the person, act and don't react. But the truth of the matter is the Bible is filled because the Bible is such a practical book. And as I'm growing in becoming more and more like Jesus Christ, it's going to affect the way I speak. And so for a person who says, you know what, my words, they sound bitter. Well, it's time to admit that. And it's time to go back to the heart and find out, now what are the thoughts that produce those kind of words? What are the desires that produce those kinds of words? And how can I replace those with godly thoughts and godly desires? That's what helps the communication change. Very interesting, Steve. So we just got a couple of minutes left. So if you have bitterness, are you more inclined to doubt God's goodness? And if you, if you are having, if you're struggling believing God's essential goodness, what can you do? Well, you know, there's so many places in the Word of God that you could enter that question, but one of the ones that I love, Bill, is the book of Ruth, because that book is really not about Ruth. It's about Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi. That's where the story begins. Naomi is a Jewish woman who, with her husband and their two sons, leave Bethlehem and they go to Moab. Mm -hmm. The two sons marry Moabite women and then the husband and the sons die. And there's Naomi, the mother-in-law, with these two Moabitess daughter-in-laws. And she says to them, go back to your people and to their gods. That's an unbelievable statement of yeah. unbelief. Wow. It's unbelievable that the mm -hmm. Jewish mother tells them, it's go back to their, and what she's saying is, Jehovah, the God of Israel, our God, has let me down. He's not worthy of my trust. And mm -hmm. what's fascinating, you have this little daughter-in-law, Ruth. Remember what she says. Yeah. You know what, Steve? Yeah. I'm, I hate to say this, but I'm out of time. Uh, and I didn't book enough time for us because there's so much more to mine here. No trouble. Thank you very much. How about I have app. you back on? We can continue this. This has been fascinating. Anytime you want, my Thank friend. Thank you so much. Steve Viers has been my guest. We'll take a little break when we come back. Dr. Bruce Samat will be talking about caring for our memory. That's all next.
Welcome back to the show. Do you sometimes have difficulty in remembering recent events or maybe problems with language or sometimes you feel a little disoriented or mood swings? Those could be symptoms of Alzheimer's, which is a neurodegenerative disease that usually starts pretty slow and can obviously get uh, worse over time. And it is the cause of about 60 to 70 percent of cases of dementia. Uh, Back by popular demand is Dr. Bruce Samat. He is a biology professor here at the University of Northwestern, and he recently gave a wonderful presentation on Alzheimer's, and I thought it would be awfully nice to have him in and learn what we can learn in the time we have uh, today. Bruce, welcome back. Well, thank you, Bill. It's good to be back. Yeah, it's yeah. been a while since it's, I've seen you, and it's really nice to have you back in the studio and got a different tie good. on today, so <laughs> really, uh, really a pleasure. pleasure. So let's talk about this uh, very scary disease called Alzheimer's. Yeah, well, I really started getting interested in it um, when my father-in-law was diagnosed or ex- suspectedly diagnosed uh, with it uh, some time ago, actually, uh, more than 20 years ago. And uh, I'm a biochemist, so I like to know what's going on in the brain and what's, what cells are doing. And I'm a physiologist, so I like to know how the organ systems work like the brain. So it's a nice combination of how organs work and then right down to the biochemistry of what makes them work well and then what makes them not work well. So when he was going through this and we watched this degeneration over quite a few months, um, and it was very sad, of course, um, uh, and difficult to watch, but I started getting into it to find out what's going on. So here's what I've been looking at. Something in which we don't understand yet is triggering the brain cells to do odd things. And one of the odd things is to make a protein called a tau, T-A-O, tau protein that gets in the way of nerves talking to each other. Mm. So literally they're blocking um, the transmission of electricity. So you don't think so well. So you might not remember so well. Or you might get into moody swings. It depends on where this is happening in the brain. Mm-hmm. And it could be in a behavioral area. And people can get aggressive or, or short, just short-tempered you know, or memory, like I said. So it depends on where this is happening first. Now, eventually, it starts happening more and more in more parts of the brain until the brain is shutting down. So one of the issues is this production of this, this protein. And this long protein gets clipped, and there's the problem. It gets clipped into shorter pieces, and these shorter pieces are the ones that clog up the electricity from nerve to nerve. That's one thing. Then there's another thing where the actual nerves get tangled. Now, that's something I can't even quite imagine how this could happen. But nerves will twist around each other. Well, that inhibits their uh, firing also. So with, with this neural tangles... And these tau proteins getting in the way, you don't think so well. So little by little, it starts to degenerate the brain. And in fact, parts of the brain die off. And upon autopsy, that's where they really can diagnose this. Um, and you can actually look at a brain. I have, I have autopsy pictures of this in, in my presentation, showing how the brain is actually looking like it's sculpted out on the inside. Um, not a good thing. So... And, and brain scans before a person dies start to show less activity, less activity. Until pretty soon, you're going more infantilism. You're, you are just not even able to handle your own bodily functions because mm-hmm. the brain 
isn't handling hardly anything. That's not good. Um, now, some of the early um, information that came out was was trying to point the finger on something. What's causing this? So if we can find out what causes it, well, maybe we could avoid that. Is it some kind of food? Is it some kind of heavy metal? Is it something in our lifestyle? What, you know, what's different? Because the question was being asked, and it, and it was not being answered, is are there greater and greater number of cases nowadays than before? Let's say 1900, 1950, mm-hmm. now, you know, all the way through. Well, no one knew what it was, so people were just dying and de- degenerating, and nobody had a clue what was going on. So and they just called it dementia. You know, now we're finding out dementia is one thing, Alzheimer's something else. So in any event, the... Um, so there were there were fingers were being pointed at various things. Um, one was aluminum because saying, "Well, look at we we starting to understand this now, and we're all using aluminum pans." You know, trying to make an equation there. Well, they started doing studies with that and found out that aluminum is not the case. And people who use aluminum pans versus people who use steel pans um, don't have any real difference, appreciable difference of aluminum. Um, so it doesn't accumulate is what they were looking for. Does it accumulate? And, and, and as an element, uh, aluminum doesn't accumulate easily. So that was dispensed with. That sort of has gone away. So we still don't know exactly what causes it, but now more and more information is coming out to, be, to have an earlier diagnosis. Because as it was with, again, 20, 25 years ago, my father-in-law, no one could diagnose it for sure until he died then the autopsy, looking at the brain, said, oh, this is Alzheimer's. We're looking at the tangles, we're looking at the, the proteins, and we see that. So now they're looking at what is it that might be in the blood that might be shed from cells in the brain into the blood such that we could pick up on it on a blood test and at least catch it early. Now, we still don't know how to treat it, but if we knew it was something was happening with somebody early on, we could start throwing a lot of things at them, mm-hmm. uh, but, you know, in the biochemistry, start throwing pharmaceuticals into this, start trying to make a change and see if, if, it would, if those markers in the blood would, would reduce. See, that's how you could, you could start combating this. You have to diagnose it, and then you can start working on things. And this is something, uh, you know, just has to happen uh, to, get any, to get anywhere with it. So... More recently, they have found some markers in the blood that tend, they think, are indicating that maybe this person is a higher risk for Alzheimer's as, as they age. Yeah. And, of course, it hits with age. That's the whole point. It doesn't happen with young people. It happens as your brain ages. So I've drawn this kind of curve where the, the normal aging of the brain that gives you a little bit lesser function, a little bit less, a little bit less, is on a very slow slope, just a few degrees slope. And that happens from age, whatever, 50, 60, 70, 80, 90. It's a slow slope that maybe by the time you're 90, you might have lost 10% of memory and capabilities and et cetera. But, you know, you, you can work just fine at 90% when you're 90. You right. Know? Now, other things like dementia, it's a steeper slope. And when you come to Alzheimer's with those neural tangles and those proteins in the way, it goes down on a very sharp curve and in just months within a year maybe two you are going down what would otherwise be 20 30 40 years wow yeah. so it's it's that much faster mm-hmm. 
Yeah. So if we can find these markers and they can and we can really verify that and and if it can be quantitated from the blood and if that's all going to come about is if there's some indication um, that'll help us start working on cures. Are there any current medications out there to block these tau proteins or to try to do some of this untangling you talked about or is it just on its own? Yeah, not yet. Not yet but huh? uh, they do have some medications that help uh, re- they think they think as it seems a couple of them uh, uh, let make that curve, that downward curve, less steep. Mm. So it sort of gives you more months. That's a big deal, then. Yeah, and that's a big deal. Yeah. 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 And there are some of those that do have some help. Mm-hmm. So I'd be on those. They t- tend to have, at least what I've read, not not severe side effects. So it, it would be worth looking into that. Mm-hmm. Um, so with the normal aging process, uh, I have found ways to help remember things better. So this is just my own, I'm my own guinea pig. Okay. And I, and I test this is on your personal system? Oh, yeah, yeah, this is my system. I try yeah. a lot of things because I, I have a split-level house. I'm upstairs, and I say I'm going downstairs to get the keys. Well, I go down the stairs. I'm right at the top of the stairs. I go down the stairs. I get distracted with this, with that, another thing. And then I'm standing there going, no, what did I come down here for? Mm-hmm. Well, that's bothersome. There was, I, I can remember, I think, days earlier days when I didn't have that (laughs) memory wondering now what did I come so I'll walk up the stairs I get right up I cannot remember it I'll stop halfway up and say no I'm gonna stand here till I remember it nope I have to walk right up to the top step when I thought of it and then I think of it again is that right it's a location interesting yeah so that's when you discovered what it was you wanted to go to the next level to get (laughs) so you take yourself back to that environment yeah it's interesting. Because your brain can think of 50 things on the way down the stairs. That's exactly what was happening. I'm distracting myself from that thought. Right. So then I thought, well, okay, here I am standing at the t- top of the stairs. Now I'm going to say, I'm going to say out loud, I'm going down to get the keys. And my wife says, what? I say, never mind. It's just, <laughs> it's just for me. I go down there and I can be down there a half hour distracted. And I go, now I'm down here. Oh yeah, for the keys. Okay. It comes to me that fast. Mm-hmm. All because I heard myself say it. Interesting. So now I teach my students that. Not about standing at the top of the stairs and looking, talking about keys, but reading their textbook of what's important. If they say it out loud, you'll remember it longer. Interesting. And if you teach it to someone else, buddy, the buddy system, and say, here's how this biochemistry system works. Here's how we metabolize sugar. We have this enzyme, that enzyme. And you say it out loud, and you have someone who can give you some feedback, like, oh, you, you forgot something, or that sounds right. Yeah. You both remember it. But the person who's taught it, the person who said it, will remember it longer. Yeah. And there's a lot of psychological studies to back that up. Mm-hmm. So I was telling this to a small church group, um, uh, Sunday school class, and I came back the next week, and they were all elderly. That means they're older than me. Okay. Okay, so they're older than dirt, and they're 80s to 90s. And this group, and I came back the next week, and one guy, 85-year-old, says, boy, that really works, he said. I'm going to go out to the garage, and I say, I'm going out there to find a hammer. You know, and he says, I get out there, and I'm tinkering with everything, and by golly, the hammer comes back to me mm, just because, because I said it. Yeah, That is so So I've cured many people of, yeah. <laughs> of old age. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. And you have explained that on this show. Oh, my goodness. So in some ways... We're sharing this intellectual property. <laughs> yes. Well, and I'm sure there'll be some royalty paid out. Yes. Yeah, send your nickels and dimes exactly to, uh, to Faith Radio. Bill Arnold. Yeah, Bill Arnold. He's, he's, he's collecting for me. Thank yes. You. Yeah. But I find that to be interesting, and that can be implemented with loved ones who may not have Alzheimer's issues, but might have 
early memory issues yes. of any kind. And don't yes. we all have trouble remembering stuff? We do. We do. Uh, my wife never remembers anything I tell her. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. and, yeah. and, and by the way, if I, vice versa. She yeah. said, no, remember yesterday I said, I go, no. Yeah. Were you listening? No. Bruce? Yeah, no. I didn't think so. But I never said it. She said it. Right. See? And so... You know, I said, it's, it's nothing against you, dear. I just can't hear your voice. <laughs> uh, we're almost married 50 years. You know, you tune out after a while. Yeah. Okay, so anyway, I found that if she's going to tell me something and if it's kind of important, I'll start a conversation about it just so that we, I say something. You have exchange. Yeah, it's Where's an exchange? exchange. Well, I remember it for weeks better than her. That's so interesting. Now I'm telling her, here's what you said. <laughs> she said, I didn't say that. Yes, I remember because we conversed about it. Mm-hmm. So I'm trying to teach that to my students that you can get a better grade just by being verbal. About mm. it. Verbal so, alone? Can you even be verbal alone? Yes. Well, one student tells me, I said, there's nobody at home to talk to about it. You know, yeah. So I, talk, I, tell, I teach it to my cat. I said, well, that's good. You're going to have a pretty smart cat. You know, you're going to pass biochemistry. Yeah. No. Other one says, I, I just teach it to my mom. And my mom says, well, that's interesting. <laughs> but she doesn't know what she's talking about. Mm-hmm. But this person is saying it out loud. Yeah. And sometimes a parent will, or somebody will give you feedback, but it makes you think about it. Yeah, yeah. And part of it just boils down to this. When you say something, when you, when you read something, it comes to your eyes, and it goes to one part of your brain, mm-hmm. what I saw. If you're going to say it out loud, it has to go to your speech center. Then it has to go to the actual muscles of your mouth, and you actually have to say it. Mm-hmm. And then you actually hear that, and then you process what you heard. You're ending up with four or five brain centers instead of one. So talking to yourself is a pretty important thing to do. Oh, I do it all the time. Yeah, Yeah, awesome. Especially in the car, like, where am I? Exactly. Dr. Bruce Samad is my guest. We're talking about Alzheimer's, and we're going to continue that discussion in just a couple minutes. We'll be right back. Matt, we are chatting about Alzheimer's uh, disease, which is a very uh, sad, bad disease. I feel sorry for people who are suffering from it, loved ones who have suffered from it. Bruce, is there a family history to Alzheimer's? Is it run in the family? Um, There isn't any real conclusive evidence about that. Um, There's two things about family trees. One is called genetic which means you inherit a gene for something. Okay. And there is like a cancer gene that can be passed from mother to daughter. We know about genetics. But other things uh, could, if it runs in families, the term they use is familial. So that means it could be showing up in certain family trees, but we don't know why. See, mm-hmm. And there's certain diseases that fall into that category. Now, Alzheimer's does not have that kind of link that if you had someone in the family, you know, grandparent, whatever, with Alzheimer's, that you're more susceptible uh, but, you know, more data is being gleaned here uh, year after year, and maybe they'll find a little something, maybe they won't, but n- not necessarily a direct connection. So it's not something you fear that it's it's in my family. Um, but it's something to think about, at least, that if it was in the family, mm, I would I would do some things that might help counter that. Mm-hmm. And everybody should be doing that anyway because it shows up. It shows up in families all of a sudden. 
So then what can we do that we think might, we think at least, might be helpful to keep stimulating the brain? Neurologically, we know that the brain will continue to regenerate itself. It does more so when you're younger, Mm -hmm. and it does less when you're older. But they have found that if you, no matter what your age is, 90-year-olds can keep regenerating nerve cells if they are stimulated. Mm. So how do you stimulate your brain? Well, not with electrodes. That's different. We would do it with more intellectual things. So crossword puzzles are interesting because you have to think about there's a, there's a clue, and you have to think about what the letters are and how many letters and what clues you have in the letters. And, for instance, my wife and I cut out all the, all of, literally all of them from the newspapers, and uh, we use them when we're traveling. So we'll do, she sits in the pilot side, and, uh, or I'm in the pilot side, one of us, and one of us is reading out the clues. Mm-hmm. And so we do, it passes the time, and we're always, always exercising the brain. Mm-hmm. So that's one thing. Just I'm I'm always um, I have at least ten people I play uh, words with friends on my phone, mm-hmm. and I'm this, those are crossword puzzles, and you're competing against somebody. I don't care if I win or lose. I win a lot, but yeah. I don't care if I, I really don't <laughs> care if I win or lose. Mm-hmm. But it's 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 fun to do, and I have two or three games with my daughter, with my son, with my other son. You know, we're playing within the family even. Yeah. Um, so. That's one thing is is keeping stimulated mm-hmm. with things. What about Bruce tackling a, a whole new activity like learning a foreign language or learning how to play the Scottish accordion? Um, you know, you might drive your family nuts, but mm-hmm. I mean, you're laying down a brand new set of of thought patterns that you've never had before. It's very very important. Uh, accordion is really a good idea. It's a very popular. It's instrument. just that it's too late Some for me the... because I already play that. Do you really? Yeah. yeah. Okay. So sometimes I maybe ukulele. Not yet. No. Okay, but you should maybe pick that up. I, the ukulele yeah. at the same time while I'm playing the accordion. Yeah, yeah see, I think there's a future there that's, yeah, in you know, retirement. I do threaten my students to come over and play Christmas polkas <laughs> every Christmas. Uh-huh. I haven't, I haven't, you know, made that made good on that yeah. threat, but I'm working on it. But it's really good for your brain, isn't it, to yes. take on something that a language is, is very important. Yeah, a language, too, yeah, because you have to really think that through. Um, I like to brush up on my Spanish, for instance. And um, how good is your Spanish? Not that good. Okay. Yeah. So, but you do brush up on it. I, oh, I'm brushing all the time. Yeah. 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 Does your wife speak Spanish? No. Yeah. So, I, so who I, do you speak Spanish with? My students. Okay. Yeah. Oh, nice. Oh, sure. Yeah. ¿Qué pasa? That's is that. <laughs> That's, no, is no. that it? I can do a little <laughs> bit more than that. All right. So <clears throat> now another thing that I've done with uh, just in helping remember things is uh, you know, like I said, saying something out loud. Um, that'll last a long time yeah. in the garage or wherever I go. Yeah. But also, uh, I leave. I use sticky notes. So I put a sticky note on my dresser for something that I need to buy, not necessarily right now, but, gee, I have to go over to Best Buy and get something. Yeah. You know, I have to go to this specialty store. So I put it in my phone, but I don't look at my phone often enough on my, on my little itemized list there. But if I see that sticky note and I put it on the counter until my wife picks it up and throws it away, yeah. but that, it'll be there for two days or so. But the fact that I saw it, and yeah. then I saw it, and mm-hmm. I saw it, I didn't have to say it out loud, I just saw it. So on the way home today, I'm stopping at two stores because I saw it yeah. <laughs> enough. i got to yeah. stop and pick up a couple things that just have to get done. Okay, so. this is really important, Bruce. Let's talk about more things we can do at home to help with our memory. Yeah. I think so, the, note, the post-it note is really great. Oh, that works very Buy much. Buy ukulele. That post-it <laughs> yeah. note was yeah, that's circulating, right. your wife threw it away. My wife? She? She my... Yeah, she <laughs> threw it away. She did, yeah. yeah. She doesn't want you buying a ukulele. No, no, that that one she threw away. Yeah, but I I wrote another one and put it on the in the car oh, in my truck. Yeah. Good, and I see it every day. Yeah, my mother used to have a roll of masking tape, 
And on the dashboard of the car, there's a, always a constant masking tape strip. It said, question mark, close windows. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, yeah. Because, you know, what if it rains? Yeah. She just had to close the windows. Yeah. Well, she, who's thinking of that, right? But she thought of it every time she got in the car. Should I put those, the masking tape over the lights that light up on the dash? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Especially those, yeah. Just that, make them go away. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. That the engine light. Who wants to see that? That's annoying. Ooh. All right. That's good. Um, I'm not. Tell me when you're selling your car because I don't want that one. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So you so, say it out loud. Say it out loud and leave yourself notes for yep. things that are just and not necessarily on the phone. No. Visual reminders. Yeah. Visual. They are. Yeah. yeah. Um, and sometimes I just tell my wife to remind me, but you know that doesn't work really well. Yeah. Yeah, because she can't remember either. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um. So. There's ways of doing that. Um, for instance, when I'm talking with my students today, they said, oh, tomorrow in class, um, you said we would do X and Y. I said, okay, you're right. We're going to do that. Thanks for reminding me. Now remind me tomorrow first thing in class. Okay. So you can have others help you out too here. Yeah, yeah. And it's a buddy system. We all, we're all in this together. Mm-hmm. So um, other exercises with the, with the mind in terms of just keeping yourself sharp. Um, and, and there's a number of things. I like to do uh, uh, Sudoku. So the, it's all numbers, and it, it's a strategy how to fix, how to do that. I like to play chess. It's a strategy. I'm not that good at it, mm-hmm. but I can beat my wife. Okay, mm-hmm. that's the main thing. Okay. And my, and my seven-year-old grands, grandson. Nice. I got him every nice. time. Yeah. Next year, I'm not sure. But there's just things that are strategy, that you're looking at something, and you have to think two steps ahead. You have to think what happens, the consequence if I do that or do mm-hmm. that. So checkers, anything, anything that makes you think a strategy, yeah, see? and and like I say, crosswords work because that's not that is even strategy. If I put this word in and I get some points, what does that leave the other person? If they're if I was on, like I say, I'm doing the competition on my phone, right? But <clears throat> everything that helps your brain think and think deeper, mm-hmm. um, reading the newspaper and analyzing it, not just reading it for oh, that's what's happening, but. What are the implications of that? So I'm teaching my students this. They're reading something about a, a poll, a survey was done, or something in science that says there's a relationship between this and that. And I have to ask them, well, what kind of experiment would you devise that could give you that kind of data? Mm-hmm. See? Well, they realize, well, that's almost impossible to get that kind of data. This is speculation. See, mm-hmm. they're, they're discerning. Well, keep your, keep your nose in the newspaper and see what, and analyze it. Mm-hmm. Yeah? But it keeps your mind thinking about things rather than being a couch potato. Yeah. All right, Bruce, let's say we've got a, a loved one, a relative, and you start to see some lapses of memory and it starts to concern you. What would be a helpful thing to say to that person without creating a lot of nervous suspicion or, Dad, are you okay? You forgot to do this? Mm-hmm. That's not like you. I mean, usually when people start to get afraid, they start to get a little defensive too, don't yeah. they? And it, and it doesn't help. No, yeah, never helps because it's more like an accusation. You know, you're not trying to, but it does sound like it. Uh, I think the, probably one of the best things to do is to help. Whatever you can do to help them. So that doesn't mean here, do this crossword puzzle. You right. know? <laughs> yeah. But you can say, now, you know, we did talk about this yesterday. And so here's what we're going to do. I'm going to do a sticky note. You know, we had a conversation about this. We're going to put it on the, on, the, on, the, on the counter here because tomorrow I want to remember that we that we pick up this conversation yeah, yeah. again. And, it's, and you, you turn it around. I want to remember. Perfect. Yeah, I want to do this. Yeah. And this I, for, I want to make sure me. we sat it, we finish this conversation, yeah. or we make a decision, and then that person's going to read it. See? Fantastic. And that's going to help, and you helped them without 
saying anything yeah. about them. The positive power of the sticky note. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. They don't have to be 3M. You can, yeah, you, you can, can do you whatever. Can get off, generic off, ones. Generic is good. Yeah, knockoffs yeah. are fine as yeah. well, aren't they? Just enough glue. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Bruce, thank you so much. This has been a very, very interesting topic. I know it's a scary subject for a lot of people, and you've done a nice job of handling some of the uh, biology of it and some of the ways in which we can do every little daily things around the house to keep our brain sharp. So thank you for that. Thank you. Yeah. It was fun. Dr. Bruce Samat has been my guest, biology professor here at the University of Northwestern. We're going to take a little break. We'll be right back with lots more. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.